Wow, what a wonderful time of praise and, and worship. Go ahead and have your Bibles. Let's open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. Love, love this passage of Scripture. Love this church uh, about which I get to speak about on today, and it's um, the church at Antioch. I call it an amazing church. And you'll look with me today at the salient characteristics of this church, her attributes, which are so praiseworthy, and they speak to us today. Look, if you're looking for a model church, you're looking for a church that you can emulate, imitate, and pattern your life after, I submit to you the church at Antioch. This is a fabulous, fabulous church with so much unity, so much great preaching of the Word of God, so many people are being saved, and yet this church is the first racially combined church in the history of the world. This is a, this is a groundbreaking landmark kind of moment for the people of God. You could not get any more different than Jews and Gentiles. I think of Ron Hall and Denver Moore. You couldn't get anybody more different than these two men. Ron was a wealthy, influential, international art dealer. And he lived in Fort Worth, Texas. And Denver Moore, he was, um, man, he was just tough guy, down on his luck. He was an African-American man living in Louisiana, hopped on a train, went to Fort Worth, didn't have any money, didn't know anybody, just angry, mad at the world. And he stayed on the streets at Fort Worth for decades. Now, Ron had a godly wife named uh, Debbie, Debbie Hall, and she said, honey, I really think we ought to get involved at the Union Gospel Mission. I remember this place, because I used to go there in my 20s, and we used to go and minister to people at the Union Gospel Mission and bring them to our church where we would have outdoor revival services for the homeless. And Debbie and Ron were serving at the soup kitchen, the Union Gospel Mission, and all of a sudden, Denver comes in. He's large and in charge. He's angry and he starts cussing. He starts threatening. He is shouting and, and people, everybody's looking at him like, who is this guy? And Debbie leans over to her husband, Ron, and says, honey, I need to tell you something. I've had a dream. And in this dream, this man changes Fort Worth, Texas and that's the man in my dream, and God told me, you're supposed to be his friend. <laughs> and he looked at her and said, honey, God didn't tell me that. I don't, I don't know, no, I, that guy's crazy. He's about to hurt somebody. She goes, no, honey, he's the guy in my dream. Y'all are gonna become great friends. And you know what they did? They became great friends. Her dream came to fruition. He changed the city of Fort Worth. In fact, you may have read their story and I think there was a movie out, same kind of different as me. Ron Hall and Denver Moore came together. Now, they're polar opposites, right? They're different in race, they're different in economy and socioeconomic status, and yet what brings them together is the grace gospel of Jesus Christ. It reminds me so much of the church at Antioch. I know that today we take it for granted where everybody comes together, Galatians 3, 28. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female, for we are all one in Christ. 
And yet we see the very genesis, the embryonic moments right here, right now, in this chapter in Acts 11. Ah, I tell you, I am just in awe of this passage of scripture. And as I read it to you in a moment, really I should read 19 through 30, but I'm not. I'll just read 19 through 26, and that'll give us one unit of thought. And then next time, we'll pick up probably around verse 25 and go through the remainder of verse 30. I'm calling this message an amazing church. They are a great template. They are a great model for us today as we look at what church life should look like. What should ecclesiology look like in the 21st century? I submit to you it should look like what it looked like in the first century. Because you really can't improve upon the churches in Jerusalem, the church at Antioch and Ephesus and so forth. So here we go. Let's read it together. Woo! Man, I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. Take a deep breath. Y'all ready? Are, are y'all excited to hear the Word of God? I mean, man, how blessed are we? How long are we going to get to do this? With this kind of freedom uninterrupted, pure. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to take it for granted. I just want to honor God. I want to preach his word as long as he gives us the breath to do it. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And Luke, he's so good, first-rate historian, medical doctor. He's detailing the expansion of the church in the first century. He said, they preached the word to no one. Now, understand this church is very important. That those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they went to these various places, and I'm going to show you these places in a moment in the map, and they didn't preach to anybody but the Jews. You say, well, what about the Gentiles? Why didn't they preach to them? Well, keep reading. But some of them, some of those who were persecuted, who were in Jerusalem, who spread out, you with me? These men were from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, you see, they spread out from Jerusalem because of the persecution. They spoke to the Hellenists, which is Greek-speaking uh, Jews, but also, I think a better translation at this point would be pure Gentiles or Greeks, non-Jews. Now, they went and preached to them, preaching the Lord Jesus. And by the way, the word preaching there is euangelizomai. It's not caruso. It's not laleo. It's, it's, it's preach in the sense of evangelism. In fact, our word, the English word evangelism is a derivative of that one Greek word. It's translated preaching, but it is evangelizing. And they preached and they evangelized them in the name of Jesus. Okay? Verse 21. Oh, goodness. This is what we long for. This is what we deeply desire at Great Hills Baptist Church more than anything, that the hand and the favor of God would rest upon us as he did then. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number. How many? We don't know. Just a lot of people believed and turned to the Lord. Look, when anybody gets saved, those are the two things that always happen. You have faith 
and you repent. Are you with me? You, the hand of God is upon you. He convicts you of your sin, draws you to the cross and the empty tomb. You see, you see that you're destitute without Christ and you repent. You say, God, I am so sorry and I yield my life to you and you're born again by the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you that is exactly, precisely what happened that day in Antioch. Verse 22 says, then news of these things, news of salvation, News of hand of the Lord, but watch this church, Great Hills, I know it's, I don't want you to miss this. The earth shattering news was Jews and Gentiles who hate each other are now together singing praise and the hand of God is upon them. No boundaries, no racial boundaries, no, I mean, what you look like, your socioeconomic, it doesn't matter. They all have come together. They're worshiping the Lord. And get this, God is blessing it. So what do they do? Well, they send a delegation. They're like, ooh, this is news to us. Never seen this before. I think God specializes in the, you've never done it this way before, so watch this. And he does. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That's the mother church. That's the epicenter. That's Pentecost. This is the, the early church in her finest state in Jerusalem, and she's beginning to spread and burgeoning and blossom. And they sent out, oh, man, Barnabas. Y'all know that was not his name. His name was Joses or Joses, J-O-S-E-S. And in Acts chapter 4, the apostles changed his name. His name, they said, dude, you're just amazing. You're always encouraging people. We're just gonna call you Barnabas, which means translation, son of encouragement. Oh, what about that guy? We got any Barnabases in the house? Woo, may your tribe increase because you're always giving, you're always helping, you're always encouraging. <clears throat> Come on, Lord, send them. Send a bunch of them. And you know what? We got a bunch of them. And I started thinking about some of them. Some of y'all going, listen to this, honey. He's about to call my name. Watch this. Watch this. Oh, I'm not going to call your name, but you, you know who you are, right? And so they sent Barnabas to go as far. Why, did that, why does the Bible say that? As far as Antioch. I'm going to show you why I said that in a moment. Oh, goodness gracious. Church, look at this. And when Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. Would, would you just let that nestle and just ruminate in your mind for a moment? What does the grace of God, y'all with me? What does it look like? I'm about to have a holy conniption fit. The grace of God is when people who don't like each other come together and love each other. They're washed by the blood of the lamb. They don't see color. They don't see differences and chasms and divides and schisms and fractions and fissures. And what they see are people who love God and love one another. Who made that up? That would be Jesus. The two greatest commandments are love God and love one another. At this rate, we're never gonna get through the reading of God's word. So let me, let me get back. Let me, let me get, get going here. And when he came, I just can't get over this. He saw the grace of God and he was, church, say it, what was he? Is that okay to be glad in church? Some of y'all need to inform your faces about that, just say it. 
It's okay. You can be happy in church, you know. Be happy in, you know, put a smile on your face. All right, be happy. It's okay. It's okay. Be happy. You think, well, I'm in church. I'm, it's supposed to be boring and, and it's supposed to be sad. And, nope. Man, the tomb is empty. Woo, glory to God. We're forgiven of our sins and we're going to heaven. Ah! News alert, going to heaven if you know Jesus. Here we go. And so Barnabas did what sons of encouragement always do. They encouraged them, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Now Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. And a great many people, Luke is, he's wanting us to know this church was exploding. And a great many people were added, not, watch this, not just to the first Baptist church of Antioch or the first Bible Methodist non-denominational, whatever church. No, they were added first and preeminently to Christ, okay? They became followers of Jesus, baptized, incorporated in the church at Antioch, and the Lord added to them. Then Barnabas departed for Sarsus. <laughs> Tarsus, excuse me. He got so excited, and he went to seek out Saul. What is Saul's other name, church? Ooh, come on. This church is about to call the Apostle Paul as their new pastor. How would you like to have? How would you like to have Paul and Barnabas on your staff? <laughs> My word. And when he had found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year. Paul and Barnabas assembled with the church and they taught. They encouraged, they shared the word of God with a great many people. Now, what else is so significant about Antioch? And the disciples were first called, can we just say the last three words in our text today? On the count of three, I just want to hear us say it because this is so, so cool. You say, oh, honey, where are we? What, what, what's he asking me to do? What is he going? Okay, on the screen, the last three words on the count of three, I'll give you a hint, it's Christians in Antioch. Okay, ready? One, two, three, Christians in Antioch. Now, Ashley, if you could throw me that water, baby, that would be so... I don't call everybody baby, by the way. This is my wife here, just letting y'all know. She's, she's the woman. Oh, wow. Good arm. It's a good job. Oh, that's good. Now, when I say they were called Christians, that was not a nice thing. That was a very derogatory word. You, you, oh, y'all are like little Christ people. <laughs> y'all are the ones that follow the, the guy that, that died, got crucified. They for, forget to say, and he also rose from the dead. But they, oh, y'all are those kind of people. They were marked as Christians because they looked so much like Jesus. Could, it, could the same be said of you and me? So today, I... You know, as I study this text, as I read and read, in fact, entire books are written on the church at Antioch. Ken Hemphill's book, it's a little dated, but it's outstanding. It's called The Antioch Effect. John MacArthur's commentary on Acts, and it's so good. In fact, when I read it, 
I don't know what y'all do when y'all are preaching and teaching. When I come across something so good, I can never improve on it. I just borrow, excuse me, I just borrow it, all right? So if I've borrowed his outline, because I think it's a fantastic outline, the genesis of the church, the growth of the church, and this is what's so brilliant to me, I I couldn't have figured this out, and the generosity of the church. So let's look at the genesis of the church. How did the church grow? Well, it's going to tell you in verse one, there's a key interpretive word here. It says they were scattered over the persecution. Now what's going on there? Let's back up to Acts chapter eight. By the way, if you're new to Great Hills, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. We're just bringing you right on into our uh, biblical didactic study and expositional teaching verse by verse of the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter eight tells us that Saul, the same guy who got saved, right? Before he got saved, he was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, here it is, a great persecution. It arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Watch verse four. Therefore, those who were scattered, code word, we're seeing that again in verse 11, chapter 11. They were scattered and they went, what what does it say, church? Everywhere preaching the word. What may look like a devastation may be preparation for God to do things in you you never thought imaginable. And that's what's happening in the early church. Saul is persecuting them and they begin to spread and they begin to leave Jerusalem and they go to various places. In fact, Luke's going to tell us, first of all, you'll see Phoenicia. In fact, why don't we just pull up the the map here, and I'll show you exactly where they went with my high-powered laser green doohickey. I don't know what you call it, but here it is. Here we are in Jerusalem, okay? And if you look over here, it's the same place, Jerusalem. All right, y'all with me? So Jerusalem is where the early church starts. This is where they were going to uh, arrest Christians and Saul as he was with them and he became a Christian, all right? So these people went to Phoenicia. This is Phoenicia. This is Tyre and Sidon. Sorry, those cities are not there, but that's where that is. And they went as far north as Turkey. And Talia, this is Turkey today. It's 35,000 people live in old Antioch. 500,000 lived in Antioch, third largest city in the world in the first century. Rome, Alexandria, Egypt, and Antioch, all right? Now, we're gonna read that there's a couple of guys who came from Cyrene. Do y'all know where this is? This is Africa, North Africa, Egypt, Africa, Alexandria. They had come from Cyrene. They had come from Cyprus. They had come to Jerusalem. They were converted. Instead of running back home, they went on a missionary trip to Antioch. And by the way, these are very Gentile, very Greek-dominated cities, countries, whatever. And when they go to Antioch, these two groups of people don't preach to the Jews, they preach to the Gentiles. Okay, if that helps, gives you just a little bit of uh, a verb, I mean, a, a picture. And I mentioned earlier in the reading of God's word that they went for the purpose of evangelizing, sharing the gospel. And it's interesting to me that there are no names associated with the men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Did y'all catch that? I don't, did, did, that miss, did anybody miss that? Nobody's names were mentioned. These were not apostles. 
They probably were not even deacons or connect group teachers. They were some unnamed nobodies that God used powerfully to expand his kingdom. Oh, I could not wait to share this with you. Somebody asked me one time, they said, let me ask you a question. How does the church grow today? Oh, we're falling on hard times. I know that, I mean, we've just fallen off this cliff as a denomination, as evangelical churches. I mean, we're at an all-time low. And people, some people, and they ask me this all the time, that how does the church grow? I'll tell you how it grows is that the unnamed nobodies go out and tell everybody about somebody who can change their souls. They get born again and the church grows. That's how it happens. Oh, but wait a minute there, Brother Danny. I didn't see you in that equation very much. You know what? If I'm doing my job, then I should be equipping you and encouraging you as lay people to go out where you live and gossip. Somebody like, I'm good at that, brother. Come on, talk to me some more about that. Yeah, gossiping the gospel. That's what they did. Is that what you're doing? Is that what I'm doing? As we do that, I'm it seems like at least there's a correlation between the hand of God upon a people of God who gossip about the Son of God and the church of God grows. Let's talk about Antioch some more. It is called Antakya or Antakya, I can't pronounce it. It's modern day Turkey. Um, it was the connecting city from the Eastern deserts to Rome in the West. Large, heavily populated. However, it was known most of all for the worship of Daphne. Daphne, the goddess of Antioch. And I'm gonna tell you, prostitution at the temples was rampant. This was one of the most vulgar, vile cities in the world. In fact, one writer says this was the Las Vegas on the Orontes. The Orontes River, it ran through Antioch. And one writer, in fact, his name was, he was a Roman satirist, Juvenal, Juvenal said, the Orontes River flows from Antioch and by the way, he's satire. Y'all know what satire is? You're making a point. You're kind of being funny about it. He said, Antioch is so vile that all the prostitution and the ungodliness that flows out of the Orontes makes it all the way over to Rome and dumps into the Tiber River, which of course is impossible, but you get his point. It was filled with immorality, with superstition, with the worship of false gods and goddesses. And may I submit to you, Great Hills Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, that it was in this context that Almighty God built a great church. You see, the power of God is not intimidated by immorality or superstition or false ideologies or secular humanistic thought. In fact, God's not intimidated by anything. And when God comes into your life and my life, <clears throat> he fills us. He gives us so much joy that we go tell everybody. And God does his greatest work 
when the times are the hardest and when the population is the darkest, then the Spirit of God is on display. And when God grows that church, everybody will have to say, look what God did. And that's my desire. Oh, I know that's why God brought me here 10 years ago. I know he brought me here for a reason, and that is to publicly preach the word of God, love the people of God, and see God do great things. Join my brothers and sisters. Join the Randy Phillips, the Tim Hawks, the John Burks, and my other brothers and and comrades. We're all gonna meet together again Wednesday. I love those men. And we pray together and we ask God, God, give us the city for your glory, oh God, that in the midst of all that we know happens in this city, may Jesus Christ May Jesus Christ be praised in all of the city of Austin and and the church of God blossom and grow. That is my desire. That is my, you say, well, why, why are you so passionate about that? Because Jesus is worthy. He deserves it. He deserves it. And he's worthy of it. Okay. This is the genesis of the church. We're going right here. We're looking at, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is interesting. When they evangelized in verse 19 and 20, notice that they preached curios, not Messiah. You with me? They're preaching to Gentiles. Gentiles have no concept of the prophetic Hebrew Messiah that was to come but they did get kurios or despotos, lordship. They got that. F.F. Bruce put it this way. This is really helpful. Many people there were trying to find in mystery cults a divine lord who could guarantee salvation and immortality to his devotees. Now the pagans of Antioch were assured that what they vainly sought could be secured in the Son of God. Mm. The Son of God who had lately become a man, suffered death, and conquered the grave in Palestine, end of quote. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was on them. Spectacular results. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to offer this to you. And I'm serious when I say this. When you're taking notes, I really hope you take notes. There may come a day In fact, in in a few years, you know, it won't be that long, some of you are going to be doing this. Some of you are going to be standing here. (laughs) I mean, God could very well just be preparing you to do amazing things, to preach the gospel, to start Bible studies in your workplace, in your neighborhoods. And you may say, you know, a few years ago, Brother Danny was teaching on this lesson and he told me something really good and I want to share it with you. Thank y'all, by the way, for giving me credit. That's nice of you. That the hand of God means two things. In the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord meant two things. One, it meant retribution, punitive judgment. And the hand of God fell on them and spanked them really good, okay? The other reference to the hand of God in the Old Testament was Y'all ready for this? This is a whole lot better. The blessing. The blessing. So when the hand of God comes, I know that's an anthropomorphism, right? Because God doesn't have hands. (laughs) God is spirit. But we capture the essence of deity with human language, so we wrap our minds around it the best we can. The hand of God is upon my church, 
The hand of God is on my family. The hand of God is on my life. And I'm gonna tell you something. Let me tell you something important. God would much rather bless you than chastise you. He loves to bless, breaks his heart to chastise, but because he's holy and righteous and just, he will chastise. Anybody ever been chastised by a holy God? That would be everybody in here if you're a Christian because whom he loves, he chastens. But here he is a blessing them. As I read this text, I thought so much of 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. I know it's not written to them, but it reminded me so much of Antioch. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. And that's exactly what's happening. Number two is the growth. I wanna camp on this for just a few minutes before we wrap up. Wasn't that fun, dedicating babies a minute? Wasn't that just fun? I'm little Sophia and Micah. Maybe we ought to do an arranged marriage like they do in India and get them two together. I mean, I, that might just work, you know? <laughs> if it's okay with the parents, right? And it's okay with Micah and uh, her, I guess, Sophia. And honoring Jane for 25 years of faithful service to God and then sing about an empty tomb and to hear silver hair, loud mouth, up here just preaching the word of God. Church, let's not take it for granted. Let's not take it for granted. Let's enjoy these days, these moments. Man, things can change. Man, things are a-changing. So I don't know about you, but I'm relishing these moments, and I praise God, and I ask God for many more years. Now the growth of this church, verse 22, the church in Jerusalem, they're like, man, what's happening? Antioch is exploding. I read it on Facebook. I got a tweet last night. Instagram, there was a photo of the church at Antioch, and it's just taken off. And you're like, that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen, but word got to them. And they're like, man, we got to send Barnabas. Barnabas, go check this out. In Acts 4, 36 and 37, the, the disciples, the apostles changed this guy's name to Barnabas because he was such a man of encouragement. He was a wealthy man and he gave his money to the church so that they could continue to meet needs and reach people. In Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, Barnabas, he's proven himself, guys. He was the one who reached out to Saul when everybody was scared to death of this crazy guy, and they like, like, look, no, no, God's changed him. And he personally introduces Saul into the inner circle of the apostles. This Barnabas is the real deal. And so they send him. He might be meek, but I wanna tell you, there's nothing weak about Barnabas. And he goes, in verse 23, he came and he saw the grace of God. And Dr. Hemphill asks this question, how does one see the grace of God in a church? Barnabas saw Jews and Gentiles enjoying fellowship together. Who, who would have believed that would have been possible in the first century? End of quote. Man, I've seen it happen. I've seen races and groups and people from way, way different lifestyles come together under the banner of Christ. And I actually made a brief list of the countries where I've actually preached the gospel and seen this happen. 
Africa, Belarus, Canada, Cuba, Cambodia, Vietnam, Germany, Nepal, India, China, Peru, Morocco, Mexico, and other nations. I've actually seen it in those nations. The most graphic one was the one in Cuba. I'm just still astounded by what I saw when the grace of God comes upon people who are very different, divergent people. <sighs> so much, Lord, how much do I say? Um, thank you. We were on a Skype call. No, it's not, that's not the right word. Zoom, Zoom call. I don't know about y'all, but I'm Zoomed out. Y'all Zoom it out? I mean, Zoom, Zoom. Vroom, vroom. I mean, it's crazy. And we were on a call with M. We met M 2013. The Apostle Paul in that country. And Terry, our executive pastor, and Becky, our missions director, and I, we, we Zoomed him Wednesday, two weeks ago, and said, how's it going? He said, persecution is strong. The church of Jesus Christ is being persecuted. One lady and a group of men were caught worshiping, and the group of men denied Jesus. But the woman said, I can't do that, and they beat her within an inch of her life. He said, Pastor Danny, that's what's happening. But the church is strong. The people that you're working with, that your people, Great Hills, send $1,700 a month. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. I need to do a better job. Forgive me. I need to do a better job of telling you, sharing with you the remarkable, miraculous things you are doing. You may not even have an idea that you're doing. $1,700 a month in South Asia, I want to tell you, it's like $17,000 a month. It's a lot of money. He said just recently, of the people group that you've been ministering to, 34 accepted Christ and were baptized. Oh, 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 praise God. Y'all, I'm telling you, do y'all know how miraculous that is. And then Thursday night, I was in our little uh, studio right over here, and Corey Hatch, bless his soul, he set me up to about seven. He said, you got it, Pastor? And that's saying a lot, y'all, for me to get it with technology and Zoom recordings and all that stuff. I said, I said Corey, I think I got it. So he left. And there I was standing in this recording room for 45 minutes teaching pastors in South Asia. Guess what they asked me to teach them for 30 lectures? 30 lectures they asked me to teach. Would you teach on the theology of missions in the book of Acts? I said, I think I might be able to do that. And so that's what I'm doing. That's what I've been doing. And Jeff Fair and I got to see some of those brothers a few weeks ago on Zoom. Oh, my word. We couldn't look any more different, Jeff, than what we look than those guys. They're very different than us, but the joy they have, the excitement they have, and that's what the grace of God does. And that's what, that's what Barnabas saw. And then he said in verse 23, he, with purpose of heart, he said, you guys are on, a, on the right track. Continue with the Lord, he said. His message was one of perseverance. Keep the faith, keep serving Christ with passion. Don't give up, come on. That's just like Barnabas. Man, we need some Barnabases today, do we not? In this culture, 
in this cancel culture milieu, this epic era of time in which we live, don't we need some men and women of God to stand up and say, hey church, you got this. God's with you, he loves you, he's for you. And the light of the gospel shines the brightest when the night is the darkest. And then verse 24, Luke says, Barnabas was a good man. Mm, 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 mm. Good man. Proverbs 22, one says, a good name is to be chosen over great riches. The Bible also says Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell y'all what a filled up Holy Spirit man of, or, or woman of God looks like? I'll tell you what they look like. They look like this guy. No complaining. No fussing, affirmation, encouragement, love, joy, peace. Y'all with me? Patience, kindness, whatever happened to that one? I digress. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look, a, a, a Holy Spirit full man or woman has the fruit of the Spirit and has the gifts of the Spirit in full operation. And he did, he had that. What a man. Here you have a vibrant church sharing Christ, poking holes in the darkness. Oh my word. They're about to be discipled by none other than Paul and Barnabas for a year. Look, they were unstoppable. I said earlier, God likes to do crazy things. He just does. He likes to rock our boats and he likes to get us our minds and eyes off of our, our traditions and our man-made value, valuable things. And he wants us to look more to him and the things of God. And, and if God wants to color outside the lines, he creates the lines, he does everything. So let's, I, I'm having a hard time communicating to you guys in an effective way of just how radical this was. You, look, the Jews and the Gentiles don't even look at each other, much less eat in the same house, Peter and Cornelius, much less get in the same room and worship the same God. John Avent preached here a few couple years ago and loved John Avent. He is a, um, he's a fiery preacher of the gospel. He worked at the North American Mission Board for years. He was pastor of West Monroe Baptist Church in Louisiana. And he told his church, there were thousands of people there, and he said, church, please don't fire me for what I'm about to do. But I've asked Lauren Sandler to be our guest speaker today. Not only is she a woman, she's an atheist. <gasps> and he goes, don't, don't fire me yet, just hear me out. I'm going to interview her and I wanna see what y'all think about it. <laughs> He's got more guts than I could ever have. He interviews Lauren Sandler who wrote a book, by the way, and the title of it was Righteous, Dispatches on the Evangelical Youth Movement. In America, she believed that another great awakening was coming. She's an atheist, by the way. A great awakening was coming and it was going to begin in the hearts of teenagers. Okay? Because she's a student of history. You, if you study history, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not Christian. You study 1740 
through 1770, you know something happened in this nation. This nation exploded in religious fervor and excitement. I wrote my PhD dissertation on 1792 to 1843, and I didn't have to be a Christian to give you this deduction that something radical happened. I mean, benevolence empire exploded. Churches were going crazy. I mean, out in Kentucky, I mean, those uh, those revivals in Kentucky, and then Charles Finney on the Eastern Seaboard, it was amazing. And she goes, look, I know, I'm not even a Christian, but I know something radical happened here. So you got this New York City Jewish atheist and a Southern Baptist pastor addressing the West Monroe Baptist Church in Louisiana. And here's what happened. Lauren made it clear that she is open to talk about God anytime, but that the real draw for her is seeing people that actually live like Jesus. In fact, she said she doesn't understand why Christians don't talk about how cool Jesus is. She challenged us with what was what repelled her from Christianity and expressed amazement at the way the people of our church responded to her. And here's the part that got me. For me, this is Pastor John speaking. For me, it was the most authentic expression of New Testament church I have ever experienced. None of our doctrine was compromised, but we actually had God's people together in dialogue and relationship with unbelievers Kind of like, well, Jesus, can I add just a little humble addendum? Well, kind of like the church at Antioch. Jews, Gentiles. The Gentiles coming and preaching the grace gospel and the Gentile church forming hand of God upon them and they just are, I mean, flourishing great, great days. So I extend the invitation to all of us today. I'm, I'm asking you who are listening online and those of you that are here, we have about 400 here today, about half the size of church that we normally have. But we have, I don't know, Corey, Leighton, y'all tell me, I don't know how many people are watching online. I, I just know there's a lot in different countries and cities and states. Has there ever been a time when you've met the risen Christ, have you ever said yes to Jesus? I mean, giving him your all. I think about some of you and you wanna argue with me, so I wanna go ahead and go down that road with you. Some of you, and you've told me this, God can't forgive me because of what I've done. Can I submit to you Exhibit A, Antioch? They did it all. I mean, the gross, the most vile degradations of sin, they practiced it. Trust me, they did it. And yet when they met Christ, they were gloriously saved. Look, if God can save a Saul and make him a Paul, if God can save the people of Antioch and make them the church, the first church, Jew, Gentile, look, he can do it for you. And so I'm inviting you, those of you that, who knows? Who, who knows? This, this may be your last opportunity. Would you give your life to Christ today? Would you say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I give it all to you. Save me. Some of you are in the Austin area. It's really, really cool. We've got uh, Shonda Martin, her parents. God bless y'all, by the way, up in, how do you say that name? It starts with an S. Sal Salado? Y'all, they, they're in Salado and they want to join our church. I know it's messing my ecclesiology up, but anyhow, we're, we're working on that, all right? And people in Virginia, 
this is our church. They live in Virginia, but this, this is our church. I, I know. It's strange. Randy, what in the world? What, things are changing. Things are very, very different. I'm just saying, God loves you. I'm preaching the gospel. Give your life to Christ. Let's follow the Lord in believers' baptism, and let's go out in our communities and rock this world for Christ. Let's do it. Some of you are here in Austin, or you're like Shonda's parents, probably going to move to Austin area. Let me, let me give you a little website here, ghbc.org forward slash connect. If you're interested in becoming a member of our church, that's the first step. We, we want you to go to ghbc.org forward slash, for, y'all with me? Forward, not backward. Anyhow, connect. And then Leighton, Danielle, they're going to start teaching Discover Great Hills November the 1st. So everybody becomes a member of our church. We invite you to go through this three-week study. It tells us a little bit about you. It tells you a whole lot about us and see if there's a marriage. See if, see if we come together under the banner of Christ and this is a place that you want to be a part of. Father, I just love you and I thank you. And God, you're doing some new things. You're doing some, some things that's really, really stretching me. And yet, Lord, you are God, you're sovereign, you just do whatever you want to do because you're right. And Lord, I pray today in the name above every name, Jesus, I pray for strength, God, for this church, that the hand of God would rest upon us like the hand of God rested upon the church of Antioch. And there would be great discipleship and great biblical teaching and there would be great gossiping that the members would be so excited to penetrate the vile the vileness of Antioch, Lord, it was, huh, woo. And yet if they could do it there, Lord, surely we can do it here. So help us, God, be strong, be faithful, continue, friend, continue on with the gospel. Those of you in Indiana watching us faithfully and in Virginia and in Texas and some places I can't mention around the world, God bless you. We love you. We're for you. We want to faithfully preach the gospel and equip you to be the people of God where you are. So Lord, we, we're asking you, Lord, to save people today. And that's my prayer. That God, there be repentance and faith. And that God, you would bring people into your kingdom for your glory. I pray for our nation, oh God. A bank, it's, it's, it's like our nation is on the verge of spiritual and moral bankruptcy. And God, we need you. And we're asking you, Lord, for this awakening, this revival that will change the course of our history, oh God. And may it May it happen in us. Lord, may we champion the gospel. May we be people of faith in hard times. We love you, Lord. We're asking you, God, to have your way right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on now. Amen and amen. Would y'all stand up? Jeff, you guys come. And y'all lead us in some songs of commitment, some songs of just dedication to the Lord. I love this part. It's my favorite part of the service. Some people choose to leave at this part. Oh, don't leave. Don't turn your computer off. Watch this. Watch what the Spirit of God does in your heart right now. Come on.